Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the NateHoldridge.com podcast. Today, we're talking about the four protections to temptation. If you'd like to follow along with this conversation, you can go to NateHoldridge.com slash 40B or go to CalvaryChapel.com. The article for this conversation is on both websites. So let's get into it. Christians believe Jesus was tempted like us, yet without sin. But sometimes we wonder, did he really endure the same intensity of temptation as I do? The answer is yes. Jesus endured more than we ever could, yet without sin. It is in his victory that we now stand. Giving into temptation can be costly, sometimes gravely so, but it is always giving into a lie. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are all trying to convince us these desires will actually satisfy, but they cannot, they won't. Let us remember there is more to us, only one for us, and that God has been good to us. Maybe we can kind of start this, this conversation off with just a real simple question. Uh, what what are your biggest temptations? <laughs> <laughs> Easy enough, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we don't need to start there. Okay, well, my top 15 is... No. Do you keep a list, like an Evernote, or just things? To yeah, just I'm just through? always adjusting it. Yeah, you know? always. Oh, man, that's uh, made it into the top 10. <laughs> oh, man. Four protections against temptation. Hmm. Um, this article, you know, I think it's, it's cool. Cause it's not just like, Hey, get rid of this in your life. Stop having these kind of conversations. Stop thinking these thoughts, but Nate, it's really cool. You go back to a story about Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Um, and you pull out some different things that Jesus did through the time when he was being tempted to encourage us in times that may we feel tempted in ways to kind of overcome that temptation. But before we get into that, can you kind of tell us what that story is that you're alluding to of Jesus? Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, yeah. I think, for us as believers to consider the gravity of Christ's temptation, just mm-hmm. how real it was, how significant it was. And, you know, of course, the, the timing of it was really important. He had lived uh, and become an adult man. And John the Baptist had been his forerunner out in the wilderness, prophesying of his coming and telling people that they needed to, pre- uh, to repent, mm-hmm. to prepare yeah. the way, you know, for the Lord, uh, to get ready for the kingdom. And, um, Jesus then at one point went out to the Jordan river and was baptized by John. John objected, you know, for a moment, said, you know, uh, I should be baptized by you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Jesus said, permit it to be so to fulfill all righteousness and was baptized. And when he came out of the water, the spirit, we know the story, descended on him like a dove. And the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately at that moment, the spirit kind of the really in a sense you could say the first activity of the holy spirit upon jesus mm-hmm. you know um and, and it almost feels awkward to say it this way but empowering jesus for 
that public ministry because right. I believe that Jesus was actually leaning upon the strength of the Spirit to do the things that he, he did and taught mm-hmm. uh, because he had laid aside the privileges of his deity. And the first thing that the Spirit um, did to the Lord as he drove him out into the wilderness for a period of extreme fasting, which we've talked about in another Mm -hmm. podcast, the subject of fasting, Um, drove him out to the wilderness for a period of extreme fasting. And then um, what the assumption is, or the way I read it, is that he was being tempted for the duration of the 40 days, but that um, on the 40th day, there was this significant sort of like trifecta mm-hmm. of temptation that the, that Satan or the devil brought directly against the Lord at that moment. And, you know, for all of that, um, I think that that helps us as Christians because I think a lot of times when we think about Jesus being tempted, you know, as we read in Hebrews that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin, we might be tempted to say, well, you know, his temptation really doesn't have the same kind of weight or gravity attached to it that my temptation does because in his sinless humanity as God the Son, he wasn't going to sin. So really was it what does it does it really count? You know, is it really the same kind of temptation? But I think if we really understand what was happening there, you know, that the demonic realm was coming crushing against Jesus mm-hmm. and that he was brought physically to a place of like almost nothingness, just right. absolute weakness, that he's there in that wilderness, all that kind of stuff. If we actually consider what he endured in that temptation, I think we might be more prone to say, my little puny temptations have nothing on the wow. temptation that Christ experienced. You know, when I get done eating a meal and I'm sitting there, you know, fairly full and satiated, and I'm experiencing the temptation to overeat, or I'm experiencing the temptation to, to you know, be unhealthy and eat something I shouldn't or something like that. That is so puny and insignificant <laughs> compared to yeah, the temptation that Christ endured. I mean, the gravity of it was just so hmm. massive. Yet, in the midst of all that, he stood. Right. Would you say for temptation, you know, each and every one of us have a different, like different leanings, I guess, towards different kinds of temptations or different kinds of sins? Three common temptations that he used on Eve, that he attempted to use with Jesus, that he now uses with us, and he just repackages them in a million different ways. But it's all the same. Lust of the Mm. flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's good. Thank you for kind of explaining that. So with that in place, let's kind of talk through these different four protections that you talk about. This first one you talk about is that Jesus won for me. What, what is that? So did he, did he actually get through the temptations? What, what did that look like and how is that encouraging to us? Yeah, so this kind of piggybacks on everything that we've said up to this point. You yeah. know, um, a, a way of looking at the temptation of Christ is to see the really obvious contrasts between the temptation of Adam and the temptation of Christ. Right. Uh, they're very contrasted because Jesus succeeded, Adam failed. Mm-hmm. Jesus was in a wilderness, Adam was in a beautiful, lush garden. Uh, Jesus was in a broken and fallen world. Adam was in a perfect and unstained world. Uh, Jesus was extremely alone uh, as he was out there, you know, by himself. Adam had his companion. He had Eve and he also, 
you know, had the Lord, he had God. Uh, but Adam, with all of those beautiful conditions, I mean, the, the requirement really wasn't all that intense upon Adam. It was, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for one, and the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So the restriction was very limited, right. whereas with Christ, these temptations were coming from all over the place. Yeah. And in those prime conditions, Adam fell. Mm-hmm. And when he fell, the Bible seems to indicate that we all fell with him. Mm-hmm. And so sin entered into the world, death entered into the world, and it entered into us as well. We are born knowing that we'll die. Yeah. So that sin nature has been given to us as well. Jesus, though, uh, the second Adam, as the Bible calls him, he was successful and victorious. So the reason that I mentioned this one first is because I think it's really easy to... Um, uh, basically just have a moralization of Jesus's yeah. temptation. Right. Like, hey, look, this is what he did. He quoted the Bible. And so that's all we have to do is we just quote Bible verses and we're going to win the victory. Yeah. But we have to remember that what he's doing here is he's doing something that Adam could not do. That means that since we're, we were born in Adam, we could not do it ourselves either. Mm-hmm. But then when we become believers, we're transferred into Christ. And Christ actually was able to do it. Christ actually succeeded. He won in the face of these temptations. So a believer has to have that perspective that I'm in Christ, he's in me. And this is the great mystery, you know, Colossians 1 tells us, Christ in me or in us, the hope of glory. Mm. So to have that hope inside me to now say, well, when I was in Adam, there was no chance. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no way I could go through these temptations and actually succeed. But now I'm in Christ. I'm no longer the kind of human that I used to be. I'm born again. I'm a new human. I'm in the mm. part of the new humanity. And so because Jesus did this, there is the possibility that through, through my life, he could do it through me as well. And so uh, that's just really important before you get into each of the three temptations to realize, no, you know, the Lord has to do this through me. Without his strength and his help, I'm toast. Yeah, that is so encouraging. Despite our depravity, there is so much hope and strength in God. Yeah, and to to I think in a in a culture and world where we I mean we just love psychology so right. much you know mm-hmm. we love science so much and we think that we've gotten everything figured out and so a lot of times we come to these uh, fatalistic determinations about mm-hmm. ourselves as a result of psychology or science That's and we think like this is just how I am these are the appetites I have and this is what I will do uh, instead of saying man Christ bought me he's changed me. He's redeemed me wow. to redeem me. And so I don't have to. I can have victory. You know, one of the concepts of Romans chapter 6 is that we would consider ourselves dead indeed to sin and alive to God. Mm-hmm. And that that takes faith, you know, to do that. Like actually, technically, positionally, as a believer, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God. Right. And I'm just as raised to life as Christ is. That's my position. That's that's who I am in Jesus. And to have that perspective, I think, is helpful, you know, when temptation comes our way. Yeah. Amen. Would you say there's more to us? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that just leads right into it, that there is more to these bodies, that there's more. There's more in Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And you're you're alluding to the second 
uh, great protection that I talked about in the article. And really what, what that comes from is, you know, the devil tempted Jesus in a way that, you know, you and I are never going to be tempted, right. you know, uh-huh. Hey, turn this bread or turn this stone into bread. Like I've never had that temptation yeah, yeah. in my life because it's not something I can do. Um, obviously the devil was tempting Jesus to perform a trick. Uh, these temptations, when Satan said them, he said, if you're the son of God, which if you remember, what was the last big event in Jesus's life? It was the baptism. And the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So, so the devil was trying to attack Jesus's identity. If you're really the son of God, take these stones, turn them to bread. You're obviously hungry, you know, feed yourself miraculously. And Jesus quotes from the Bible. So there's a sense that he's meditating upon, it's just weird to say it, but the very word of God that he wrote, right? right? That, right. that he uh-huh. is, you know, he's the, the logos, the word of God. So he quotes from it, from uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, where God said that Israel would not live by bread alone, but, uh, but, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Mm. Now, when Jesus said it, though, he says it's written, man will not live by bread alone. So here's my reading of it. My reading of it is that Jesus is like announcing to the devil, hey, I've been studying about men, (laughs) you know, because I am one. Yeah. And I'm experiencing like the full gravity of being a man right now because I am getting pummeled with these Mm -hmm. temptations. This is unique to my experience in my divinity i never experienced any temptation at all so i'm experiencing the full weight of what my brothers and sisters before me and after me have experienced i'm going through that and what i'm reading here and what i'm pulling out of the bible is that man well he doesn't live by only bread so you're tempting me to make stones into bread but I'm announcing to you that I've read in God's word that that's not how man is designed, that there's more to man than the physical appetites of his body. So that's why I said that I, you know, second great protect, protection is just there's more to me. There's more yeah. to me, you know, because so much of temptation, whether it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, it is saying to me, here's an appetite, here's a desire. Here's a craving. Here's something that, you know, I'm holding out or we're holding out to you. Partake of this. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say, no, that's that's not my design. There is more to me. I I will not be satiated with what you're saying I'll be satiated with. Man does not live by bread alone, by sex alone, by entertainment alone, by rest alone, Mm. by sleep alone. Man does not live by these appetites, whether good, bad, or neutral. Man does not live by those things alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I think just, you know, understanding like, hey, uh, there's more to me as a human being is really important. Right. I think it's easy for people to look at those things and to say, you know, that's all of me. Or that that's the only thing for me. Totally. I'm going to give myself fully to this because, like you said, we we study our brains, we study psychology, and we say, this is just like the way I am. I'm going to, I'm going to give in to this. This is, this is my, maybe people wouldn't say it like this, but this is my God. This is what I'm going to give my life to. Yep. I'll be satisfied when. 
Exactly, exactly. And one of the things that you point out towards the end of the article is that uh, Jesus made a big point to say that like God is, he is the king of my life. Like the, the father, I, I submit myself to mm-hmm. the father. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's really helpful to know that there's more to the human life than the material and the physical realm. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. we, we do like to reduce it to that. So, um, I, you know, it's a first step, I think, in that, in that right direction, you know, saying that there's just, there's so much more to this life. And, you know, I, to me, it, it really helps us uh, discover the deeper things of mm-hmm. life, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, food is a good thing and, and right. sex is a good thing, you know. In, in the right context, so many of these things that we're tempted with are, you know, they're created by God. God has given them to us. I mean, tomorrow night, Christina and I are going to celebrate our anniversary. We're going to oh, yeah. go out That's to a awesome. nice meal, you know. We're going to eat. We're going to enjoy, you know, each other's company. It's going to be awesome. Mm. So... Uh, these aren't things that are bad in and of themselves. It's just there's so much more to me. There's a spiritual dynamic at play here. So the third thing that you talked about, Nate, was that there's only one for me. Can you kind of bring us into that a little bit? What does that look like? Yeah. So I think what I meant by that, you know, if you're if you're thinking, you know, from the on on the first temptation of Christ, that there's more to me. You know, there's more to me in my human construct. Then maybe the next question is, well, then. How am I satisfied? You know, if there's more to me, if I'm more complex than just a body with bodily appetites, if I'm not just a result of, you know, random evolution or something mm-hmm. like that, but I'm, a- I'm actually built in a, in a unique kind of way, then how am I satisfied? And in this next temptation, of course, the devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. If you bow to me and worship me, I'll give them all to you. And Jesus quotes from scripture and says, you know, it's written, you'll you'll worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So what Jesus was understanding was as a man, uh, his design or his construct was that he should be bringing honor and glory worship to the Father, that he would always do those things that please the Father, that he would live a worshipful life unto uh, the Father. And so to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and with all our might is kind of the goal. And so what we're saying is uh, there is only one that I can worship that will actually bring me satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if I talked about it in the article or not, but there's that classic passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 mm-hmm. where the crazy Corinthians, you know, with all their different questions that they had, they wanted to ask or talk to Paul about sexual uh, immorality. Mm-hmm. And the argument apparently that had been going on uh, amongst the church in Corinth was they were using this analogy and they were saying, you know, the stomach is for food. And so their their concept was that uh, the body is for sex. Mm-hmm. You know, so the stomach, in order to be satisfied, needed food, and the body, in order to be satisfied, needed sex. That was mm-hmm. kind of the way that they were thinking about it. Yeah. And Paul says, well... Uh, no, you're not right in, in the conclusion that you've come to. Yeah, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but the body is not actually ultimately satisfied with sex. And I think we see that all the time with people who are like right. sex addicts. You know, you, you get one 
experience and then that experience is not enough and you have to find something more extreme. So rather than going deeper like you would have in covenantal marriage, you go broader and broader and broader into perversity. So, but, but Paul says, no, it's not, the body isn't for sex. The body is for the Lord. Right. So if you're in his mind, he's saying, if you're going to use this analogy correctly, yeah, the stomach needs food and the body needs the Lord. That's what the body needs. So for us, you know, in temptation, when it comes along in our lives to be able to say, you know what, like this, uh, not only is there more to me and that will not satisfy me, but there's only one for me. There's only one that I can really worship. And if I go in this direction, I'm going to be saying by entering into that temptation that uh, this will complete me, that this will satisfy me. But the reality is uh, that it can't. And the Lord understood that. Like, I am to worship the Lord, uh, your my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. There is only one for me, and uh, he is God. So to, to just kind of remember the preeminence of the Lord, you know, in our lives, and that really, actually, he's the one that brings us ultimate satisfaction, I think is, yeah. you know, really important when it comes to the baser temptations that we experience in life. Yeah, and I'm really glad you said it like that because I think that one of the common threads within temptation is just to think that this particular temptation is going to lead to some kind of satisfaction or that's going to really fulfill you. And even with that, I think there might even be this like this kind of bent where you might look at God and say, "Well, God's not going to fulfill me like that. That relationship's not going to fulfill this thing that I have a desire for." In the last. Um, Thing that you mentioned here, number four, you say that he's been good to me, that God's been good mm. to me. Can you speak a little bit about how <clears throat> the gospel can kind of like just get into this whole situation? Yeah, totally. And b- but before I do, you know, as you were just sharing there about that that last thing, you know, that there's more to me. I just was, uh, or the um, the second or the, the third element that there's only one for me, right. you know, that the Lord is for me. I was just thinking, because you were mentioning relational, the right. relational dynamic with God. And isn't that like really actually one of the biggest areas of temptation, I think, mm-hmm. for people? You know, if I, if I you know, if, if a young woman says like, you know, if I live with my boyfriend, you know, or mm-hmm. I, I experience him sexually, like there's going to be a satisfaction there, you right. know? And it really at the end of the day, what we're saying is if I worship there, if I put my value system there, then I'm going to be satisfied, you know, and it's just a shortcut to what we're ultimately wanting of real actual joy. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, you know, resisted that, like, I'm going to worship the devil and get the kingdoms of the world. And so for a young person or, you know, for somebody in that, you know, relational kind of temptation to say, no, I'm not going to go there. There, I, I am satisfied with the Lord. There's only one for me. Mm. That's really important. I mean, I know that you and Chesley got married not all that long ago, and I'm sure you've already discovered, you know, the the reality that as much as you're one flesh and as much as you're a blessing in each other's lives, ultimately you cannot be the ones that bring final satisfaction oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in each other's lives. It has to come from your relationship mm-hmm. with the Lord. It's really true. So yeah, the the last temptation that Christ went through, at least in the order that Luke put them, because yeah. Matthew puts them in a different order. Luke might have rearranged them, who knows. But 
the the final temptation uh, had to do with going to the temple mount and you know if you throw yourself off and Satan quoted from the Psalms, you know, the angels are going to watch over you. They're right. going to protect you, you know, to be kind of a spectacle, you know, like he won't let you dash your, your foot against a stone, you know, kind of thing. And the idea there, of course, I, I think this is a temptation that we experience a lot of mm-hmm. because what he's saying is if you're really the son of God, then you won't hurt. And I think a lot of times as Christians, that's what we go through, right? Yeah. We're, we're hurting, we're feeling lonely, or frustrated, angry, something isn't working out, we're not finding the success that we're looking for, uh, we're feeling despondent, all these different things that we are upset, kind of saying like, well, if I'm if I'm God's child, if I'm really his child, then why is this happening in my life? Yeah. So that's the temptation that the devil was holding out lastly to Christ. And so Jesus, you know, he did this, so it's a little bit complicated to kind of think think it all through but he is quoting from um uh again deuteronomy 6 to 8 and he's refers to uh, you shall not put the lord your god to the test and in deuteronomy it goes on to say as you tested him at massa and what that was was a place where after so many successes that God had given to the nation of Israel, all the plagues, the Passover, passing through the Red Sea, the victory after that, miraculous water, miraculous meat. After all of that, the people came to this place with Moses where they said, is the Lord for us or not? Hmm. So basically what you have is this long succession of obvious ways in which God was for them and actually made some pretty obvious dividing lines between them and the Egyptians. It was making it very clear, I'm totally for you. But after all of that, they were unappreciative and they said, is God for us or not? And so Jesus, by quoting that, it's it's like what he's saying to the devil is, look, I don't need to throw myself off of this roof to get the protection of God, to try to prove that God is for me and that God is on my side. He's saying, no, all I have to do is just look at the history of what God has done for me, like the people of Israel should have done. They should have been able to say, God's been good to me. We remember plague number one and two and three, four, five, all the way to 10. We remember all those plagues. We remember the parting of the Red Sea. We remember the bitter water made sweet. We remember the manna, the quail. We remember all these different moments that God has absolutely proved his goodness to us. And so in the face of a temptation, why would I go there? Because what God has done for me is so good and right, and I'm content with that. I don't need to say, hey, you know, God's been holding out on me. He's been withholding something good for me. I don't need to have that behavior because God, as I look back, he's been good to me. And, you know, obviously as a Christian, there are certain elements of our lives that I'm sure we can all look at. You know, I look at my own life and I can see God's hand of faithfulness in so many different events of my life and decisions that I made and different things that I didn't even know really what I was doing as I was doing them, but God was proving his faithfulness. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, even if none of that was there, I would just go back a couple thousand years to the cross of Calvary and I would Mm -hmm. say positionally, God's official position towards me is that he is good to me. And so whatever he's uh, said is in bounds for me or out of bounds for me, I'm going to receive that because obviously he has ultimately 
my best interest in mind. And the tempter, whether it's in the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, or the physical human realm, the person that's actually carrying out the temptation, if, it, if there is a person, uh, they are not thinking about me in that kind of way. They haven't been good to me in the way that God has been good to me. So that's what I was trying to say, you yeah. know, with that final temptation. Oh, that's cool. Man, I'm kind of just letting that just sink in a little bit. But that is awesome. That's the temptations of Jesus and how he overcame them, how he stood strong against them. And I just love how you close out this article, Nate. You say that with that, Satan fled. Is that just kind of how how it goes, just as you pursue um, God through the temptations and as you put God first as you see him as your king as your satisfaction yeah I mean I'm I'm not a big like a you know I don't make a massive deal about the devil all the time you Mm -hmm. know in spiritual warfare but I do believe that it exists and you know the devil is not infinite like God he's finite he has a limited amount of time and energy and Mm -hmm. resources and the Bible says that if you resist the devil he'll flee from you so basically I think what happened here was it became a waste of his time, you know, to be with Jesus. Yeah. Like, it's not working. It's not effective. I'm only stealing this figure for his future. Hmm. Uh, I'm building him up. I'm making him stronger, like steel is what I mean, stealing him. So, yeah. um, you know, I think the same is true, you know, for us. And, you know, when we give in to temptation, it's like, well, this is working. This right. is effective. Right. And, you know, we sort of, it, it, there's this myth in our minds that if we give in a little bit, we'll be satisfied with that a little bit, and then it won't be a struggle anymore. But actually, mm-hmm. we're creating more of a problem for ourselves That's in so the future. True. Yeah, so when we resist, he flees. Mm. Amen. That is awesome. There's hope in that. Nate, we're about out of time for this episode, but is there anything else you want to close with for this? Yeah, you know, if you are, if you've found yourself really succumbing to significant temptation as a listener i'm looking at you in the eyes right now riley but i'm i guess this is for you too you know the bible teaches of course that jesus was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin there isn't a temptation that is unique to just you and you know maybe you've stumbled maybe you've fallen maybe you've given into it for for years And I'd encourage you to get into the light as quickly as possible, you know, with other believers, with the right people in your life to make a full confession, to really deal with it head on, uh, because it's only then that some of those shackles that have gotten a hold of you can begin to be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'd really encourage you to, to take a step in that direction. Awesome. Thanks for that final thought. While we close, um, Nate, how can people just keep up with you and your ministry, different articles you're writing? Where are you at? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, nateholdridge.com is where I try to post everything. This particular article was actually written for calvarychapel.com, but you can find it at nateholdridge.com slash 40B, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can just go there and check it out. But uh, Twitter at nholdridge. And um, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, cool, Nate. Thanks for this conversation. Thank you, Riley. Guys, we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for joining us today for this conversation about the four protections to temptation. 
If you'd like to read some more articles like this from Pastor Nate, please go to nateholders.com. There you can look at all the archived articles that Nate has written, as well as keep up to date with the new things that he's writing. Also, we'll have a brand new episode next week here on the nateholdridge.com podcast. But until then, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.